Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. I don't know about you, but I was kind of blindsided by this lawsuit. I am recording this on Monday, August 14th, the day that these documents were filed. There will probably be statements made publicly between the recording of this and when this podcast is released, and I will link those in the show notes and descriptions if they come to fruition. But if you have seen the movie, The Blind Side, you know, Sandra Bullock won a Oscar for Best Actress, nominated for Best Picture, you're going to find the things alleged in this filing stunning. You're going to be mad. Just be prepared. You're going to be mad about this one. I was going through this going, you've got to be kidding me. Some of the headlines are clear. Some of the headlines aren't super clear on what's going on in this. It is not a lawsuit. It is a filing to terminate a conservatorship. And that is what I am breaking down today. I have pulled the letters of conservatorship so we can talk about what was in there. And I have pulled the entire filing. So instead of all of the reporting I've seen off of this, which is just rehashing ESPN's reporting, we're doing what we do here and we're going to the documents. So buckle up. This one's going to piss you off. I've given you fair warning. Let's go. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. Thank you to our sponsor, Policy Genius, for making episodes like today's possible. Life is unpredictable, and one of the adulting things we don't like to think about is life insurance. I know it feels like it's going to be a giant pain, but Policy Genius knows how valuable your time is, and that's why their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance policies from all of the nation's top insurers. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 per month for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed award-winning agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. They work for you, not the insurance companies. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over the other so you can trust their guidance. Policy Genius is for anyone who has people that depend on them. They simplify the process of getting life insurance so that you can protect the people you love. It's no wonder that they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. So if you are ready to see how much you can save in life insurance or take on this task of getting life insurance for the first time, head to policygenius.com slash lawnard. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a better way to buy it. That's policygenius.com slash lawnard or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. policygenius.com slash lawnard. Let's get in to today's episode. Okay, it's Emily from the future and this is not the last time you will see me because as I said in this intro, Well, I thought there would be statements. I thought I would just link them below, but there are too many and we have to talk about them. So yes, at the end of this episode, I talk about the family's statement through their attorney and Michael Orr's statement to people. So you better stay tuned all the way to the end. All right, let's really get into it. So for those of you that may not be familiar with the movie The Blind Side or um, just don't remember, I don't know, 2000 and 
nine all that well. It's fine. Twilight was kind of dominating the box office. I was surprised to find out that the opening weekend for The Blind Side, uh, November 20th, 2009, it came in second to Twilight New Moon and was Sandra Bullock's highest grossing opening weekend ever. And it stayed one, two with Twilight for weeks. This movie made over $309 million on a relatively small for Hollywood $29 million budget. And it tracked the story of who then became a professional football player, Michael Orr, and his um, really difficult, and we're going to outline that in this filing because his lawyers go through him being put into the uh, state foster care system and then getting into a private Christian school, starting to play football, being adopted. Well, that was the storyline of the blind side being adopted by a family whose children were at the school. And then they uh, supported him. It was a feel-good movie. And then he got, you know, ended up playing football at Old Miss on scholarship, which is where this family also went. And, you know, those ties run deep in the Southeast, man. Those those football ties run run real deep. There was an investigation by the NC2A about whether this family had taken him in to unduly influence him to go to Ole Miss. A lot of stuff in that movie. And now we see a filing to terminate a conservatorship. But the story had always been that the Tui family had adopted Michael Orr. Well, that's not exactly what this conservatorship says because they didn't adopt him. The conservatorship termination document shows that instead of adopting him after he turned 18, though still in high school, they placed him into a conservatorship. And I am, I was completely stunned because with, with the rest of you, I was like, wait a second, this was a really good feel-good story. This family took him in. He was, he was one of, um, 10, 11 siblings. He found a talent for football. And yes, he has spoken out about this movie and the way he was portrayed in the past, not loving the portrayal in the book and the movie, but has not spoken up about the fact that he wasn't adopted and has not spoken up about the fact that he didn't earn any money off of this movie, which is in this petition that we're going to go over today. So the way that I go through these documents, and I think it's helpful to remember that lawsuits are allegations and shamed. This is not a lawsuit. This is a filing to terminate a conservatorship. There is something real strange for me about this conservatorship. They waived a guardian ad litem, which means I don't know if he had noticed that they were putting him into a conservatorship with anyone that would have explained to him. I don't know if what they said is, well, you've turned 18 and so we're not going to adopt you. We're going to do it this way. But then why not just do a power of attorney? Why do a full conservatorship? But there's no accountings in this conservatorship. And the conservatorship was instituted in 2004. Michael Orr is alleging that he discovered the existence of this conservatorship in 2023. So what we're going to look at is the letters of conservatorship first, and then we are going to go through the petition to terminate the conservatorship and the requests for discovery. But as you know, because you follow me and this channel, we've talked a lot about conservatorships with regard to Britney Spears and the fight over these accountings. There isn't a single filing 
between 2004 and now until this petition, because you better believe I was all up on that court website looking for every single ounce of information I could find on this, because I'm not just going to rely on the reporting of ESPN. No shade to ESPN, but um, it's not where I go for my legal reporting first, though they are the ones that seem to have broken this story from this filing. ESPN published this on August 14th at 12 p.m. Eastern. This document was filed in Tennessee at 9 a.m. this morning. So I think someone probably had a heads up that this was getting filed because how else would you know to go look in, you know, Shelby County, Tennessee for a probate filing in a conservatorship that it seems that many didn't know existed. So first, I think we're going to talk about what uh, Michael Orr has said about the blind side back in 2011 when he released a book on his own story called I Beat the Odds. This is coming from an NPR reporting. And the quote from him at the time about the film was, I feel like it portrayed me as dumb instead of as a kid who never had consistent academic instruction and ended up thriving once he got it. I am like, I'm personally triggered by that. And I'm sure all of my neurodivergent friends are too. It's so frustrating when it's like, when, when someone gets painted with the brush of being unintelligent, when really it is a failing of, of either a school system or a lot of systems in this case. And it, it, so it hurt my heart reading him say that the movie portrayed him that way, but I completely understand why he feels that way. He said that the actor did a great job acting the park, but I could not figure out why the director chose to show me as someone who had to be taught the game of football, whether it was SJ moving around ketchup bottles or Leanne explaining to me what blocking is about. I was watching those scenes thinking, quote, no, that's not me at all. I've been studying, really studying this game since I was a kid. That was my main hangup with the film. So those are the only real critiques I've seen him give of the film until this filing, which portrays an entirely different um, family dynamic and, and has a lot to say. Let's go look at these conservatorship documents first. Getting into this order appointing conservator of the person, the petition filing for conservatorship is not publicly available. Will I be trying to get it? Yep. Do I hope we will see it in discovery? Yep, absolutely. But the order appointing the conservator is available, and this was filed on December 7th, 2004. The application for conservatorship came a number of months before that. So the rundown from the court says this cause came on to be heard upon this. That wasn't me reading weird. That's what the court document says. This cause came on to be heard upon the sworn petition of Sean A. Tuohy and his wife, Leanne Tuohy, for the appointment of a conservator of the person of Michael Jerome Williams, a.k.a. Michael Jerome Orr, here and after referred to as Orr, upon the sworn testimony of both the Tuohys, Denise Orr and Michael Orr. Interesting to me that it sounds like there was either a signed document, but when it says signed testimony, it leaves me with the impression that people came into court, though those could be signed documents. Signed and notarized documents can also be testimony. It appears to the court as followed. The petitioners 
Um, Sean and Leanne reside in Tennessee. They have resided at this residence for more than a year. It further appears that the petition is joined in by Orr, who is an 18-year-old resident of Memphis, Shelby County, Tennessee, born May 26, 1986, and resides at the same location. It further appears to the court that the natural mother of uh, Michael Jerome Williams is Denise Orr. It further appears to the court that she lives in the county in Tennessee. It further appears to the court that the natural father um, has passed in 2004, that there are no persons not a party of the above numbered cause who have physical custody of or so nobody else has custody of or um nobody else has visitation rights and again or at this point is 18 it further appears to the court that or having reached the age of 18 is enrolled in high school for the coming year and is scheduled to graduate in may 2005 it appears to the court that it's or's desire that the petitioner be recognized as his conservators until terminated by an order of the court Here's the thing. I don't know if the court took testimony. If there was an adoption, and you can adopt people after they reach the age of majority, after the age of 18. If there was an adoption at the age of 18, or would have had the right to contract on his own to start making medical decisions, you would have the rights granted to you at 18. The quirk of a conservatorship is that you lose those rights. It takes rights away from you and places those rights in someone else's hands. So if an adoption could have happened legally, which it can, why go the route of a conservatorship? That raises red flags to me and raises concerns for me. Also, um, an 18-year-old can choose to live where they want to live. So why not maybe do a power of attorney if you just need to sign documents, I, I have questions. It continues on to say, it appears to the court that the petitioners have provided and will continue to provide assistance and guidance, petitioners being um, the Tui family. It further appears to the court that this is in the best interest of or um, that the petitioners be appointed as his conservators of the person. It further appears that or has no estate and is dependent upon petitioner for support and financial needs, as an 18-year-old high school student would be. It further appears to the court that Orr resides at the home of the petitioners along with petitioner's natural children, um, natural born children versus adopted children uh, is the language the court is always going to use for that. It further appears to the court that Orr has no known physical or psychological disabilities, which is normally where you would see a conservatorship be appropriate versus an adoption. But an adoption is a very different process with very different, um, well, it's a very different process that makes you a dependent of the person you're a dependent on, but it also doesn't strip you of your rights to contract and things like that, which is a central complaint within this motion to terminate the conservatorship that we will get to. But it's in the documents for the conservatorship. No known physical or psychological disabilities. So why is the... Can someone explain... Emily, you're supposed to be the one explaining. I know. Stop. I don't understand how this gets signed as a conservatorship. I don't understand how a judge is like, um, wrong answer. Try again with an adoption. 
They've told everyone they've adopted him for, you know, two decades. Why didn't you just do the adoption? It further appears to the court that it's in Orr's best interest to appoint uh, the Tuies as conservators of the person, so they are joint conservators, and that they should have all powers of attorney to act on his behalf. And further, that Orr shall not be allowed to enter into any contracts or bind himself without the direct approval of his conservators. That is the language of this. At 18, children have the right to contract. Well, they're not children then. They're adults. I know. As my son gets older, the the age of 18 gets scarier. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're, I don't know how I'm going to see you as an adult. It's it's a chat. I have a parental challenge. But the language of this document appointing them as conservators makes very clear, very clear that they shall have all powers of attorney to act on his behalf, shall not be allowed to enter into contracts or bind himself without the approval of the conservators. Now, Orr is alleging, and we will get to it, that he was not aware that there was a conservatorship. I'm very curious to know more about the NC2A investigation into whether there was undue influence because when he signed with Old Miss, did that have to be run past them? Did he know that needed to be run past them? Did he know that that was in a formal way beyond like the court said you have to run it past them? Or did he think I'm running it past them because they are my adoptive family? They are my parents for all intents and purposes. So what was known at the time is going to be very, very interesting. It appears to the court that any and all medical decisions shall be made by conservators who will have full and complete authority to make these decisions and educational decisions in Orr's behalf. Power of attorney, power to contract, power to make medical decisions, power to make educational decisions. Normally at 18, you have the right to do those things on your own. This takes those rights and places them with the conservators. It further appears to the court that petitioners should have complete and full access to all medical and school records as if they were the natural parents and guardians, which could be done through power of attorney or through adoption. There are less restrictive ways to do this, which raises a lot of red flags for me. Um, and then this is signed December 7th, 2004. Also disturbing to me is on the same day, the court files a order waiving appointment of a guardian ad litem. A guardian ad litem is generally appointed, particularly for minors, to help explain the process to them because they're a neutral arbiter. If you have the conservators or the people seeking to be the conservators explaining it to you, they could wield undue inf influence and explain to you the wrong thing. A guardian ad litem is supposed to be a neutral third party to explain to you and protect your interest and rights, not the rights of the conservator, the rights of a child or minor person. And even at 18, that would still be appropriate here, I would think. That's my opinion. But I would think a guardian ad litem was someone who has just recently turned 18 when they have no, well, no traditional reason to be in a conservatorship someone to explain you are signing away all of your rights. This is not an adoption. This goes beyond that. And it doesn't terminate at 18. 
the way that with your parents, an 18-year-old has the right to enter into an into contracts. They can go and get a credit card. They can they can contract for a job. They can do other things without your approval. So there's also an order waiving appointment of a guardian ad litem. This cause came to be heard upon the petition and appointment of conservator of the person of Michael Orr, from all of which it appears to the court that the appointment of a guardian ad litem is not necessary. At some point, they are going to have to pull transcripts if they can about what the court advised or of at this at the time in 2004, if they even can find those back that far. So between the waiver of a guardian ad litem to protect Orr's rights and the fact that they took a full conservatorship out on him with no cause for conservatorship rather than an adoption, it raises all of my red flags. So then when we see this petition filed today, I am not surprised, but I have a lot of questions. Like I have a lot of questions. Before we get all the way into that though, because the petition is where we're going next, we need to take a minute to thank our sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Thrive Cosmetics. It still feels like summer, even though my kids are back in school. And one of the things I really hate when wearing makeup, particularly when it's sweltery outside, is having my eyeliner all over my face. The Infinity Waterproof Eyeliner is waterproof and smudge-proof for all-day wear, intense, high-impact pigmentation in just one smooth swipe, it also comes with its own sharpener, so when I'm traveling, I don't have to worry about my eyeliner not being ready to be applied. And it comes with bold and classic shades, so you can find the look that you're going for. And with all of that, it's no wonder that it has over 5,000 five-star reviews. Thrive Cosmetics has cause in their name for a reason, giving back a portion of every sale to local charities. And as always, Thrive is 100% vegan and cruelty-free, but also free of all the other stuff that you're trying to keep out of your makeup, all without sacrificing performance. So if you are ready to try Thrive Cosmetics today, I have a 20% discount for you at thrivecosmetics.com slash lawnard. That's 20% off your first order at Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash lawnard. All right. Let's get back to today's show. So remember, the conservatorship said it was active until terminated by the court. But here's what I have not seen in this court file at all. Any accountings. Normally, a conservatorship has accountings every single year of the conservatorship. There are no accountings here. But this is still in place and has not been terminated. But Michael Orr has also written at least two books, has uh, played in the NFL, won a Super Bowl, retired from the NFL, and it doesn't seem that those things were approved by these conservators. So there is there is some strangeness happening with all of this. Let's get into this entire petition, go beyond the headlines and reporting of, of what this actually is. Petition to terminate conservatorship for accounting and other relief. So they're asking the court for three things, and that's what's in the header here. Not just to terminate the conservatorship, but for a full accounting. Like, where, where is it? Where is this? And then for other relief. And we're going to take a look at that as we get through it. I'm going to go through this whole thing because um, the background is wild to me. The allegations are wild. 
And it's interesting that they are doing this within the conservatorship and not bring trying to terminate the conservatorship and then also suing. And maybe they will later. We don't know. All right. So this is filed by uh, Michael Orr and his attorneys in the probate court to close the conservatorship and to require the co-conservators, the TUIs, to show cause for failure to meet their required duties and provide regular accountings or act in the best interest of their ward. So this has come to light. Now it's like, oh, what, what have you been doing? Introduction and factual background. Michael Orr, now age 37, grew up in Memphis, Shelby County, Tennessee, in the Hurt Village Housing Projects, north of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Michael was one of 12 children born to his mother, Denise Orr. On April 14, 1996, when Michael was not quite 11 years old, his custody was awarded to the Tennessee Department of Human Services. So he was taken out of his home um, at just almost 11 years old and placed with uh, DHS, in whose legal care and control he would remain until becoming an adult, until 18. As a ward of the foster system, DHS did little to help Michael. The representatives of DHS were tasked with caring for Michael, ultimately lost track of him in a broken social system, leaving Michael to live on the streets, taking care of himself as best he could. It goes on to say Michael was a smart child, but his formal education was spotty to non-existent. He attended 11 schools in nine years, repeating first and second grade. In the late summer of 2002, a kind man named Tony Henderson the father of a friend of Michael's witnessed firsthand Michael's focus and drive to pursue a better life, took it upon himself to find a school that would agree to provide Michael with a decent education. Henderson introduced Michael to the principal of Briarcrest Christian School, Dr. Stephen Simpson, who recognized Michael's potential from their first meeting, along with other administrators at Briarcrest, agreed to provide him the life-changing opportunity of an education at their school. Briarcrest agreed to admit Michael as a student and upon receiving satisfactory grades, allow him to participate in sports. In September 2003, Michael's junior year, he began playing sports at Briarcrest and excelled. He made first string Tennessee All-State game in both football and basketball, was selected to play in the Army All-American Bowl his senior year of football, and it was clear that he had the size, speed, physical ability, and mental acuity to be a star in college and afterwards. Football scholarship offers poured in from the powerhouse football universities across the nation. That would be a lot to field without somebody helping you through it. That alone, fielding all of those offers would be wild. Michael was on his own at Briarcrest and nearly penniless. It took over an hour riding buses and walking to get from Hurt Village to Briarcrest during his 10th and 11th grade years. Um, between September 2002 and January 2004, he often stayed at the home of a grandfather of his friend, um, Quintero Franklin, and he had other benefactors as well. They go on to say that he often stayed overnight at the homes of his classmates, whose parents saw him simply as an intelligent, polite young man who needed the basic support that no person, agency, or other social system had been able to provide for him most of his childhood. During the summer of his junior year at Briarcrest, Michael also occasionally stayed with Sean and Leanne Tui. It goes on to say, where other parents of Michael's classmates saw Michael as simply a nice kid in need, conservators saw him as something else. A gullible young man whose athletic talent could be exploited for their own benefit. Well, in this petition, we know exactly how they feel about it. It says that the Tuies, who took no legal action in juvenile court to assume legal custody of Michael, a ward of the state, began inviting him to their large, beautiful home more and more often during the summer. Ms. Tuie uh, 
began taking Michael on shopping trips, buying him clothes. In July of 2004, after Michael became an adult but was still enrolled at school, and just before his senior year, the Tuies invited him to come live with them. At no time prior to this invitation during Michael's minority, when he was under the age of 18, did the Tuies take any legal action to assume custody of him from DHS through appropriate channels, nor did they seek to become Michael's guardian while he was a minor. Uh, just an interjection as we go through this um, motion or petition to dissolve and terminate the conservatorship, the conversation around how DHS loses children is a whole separate conversation. Um, but the fact that no one knew where he was for a lot of his upbringing is absolutely, it, it's it's wild. And unfortunately, it's not uncommon, um, but it is truly wild. It goes on to say that despite this inaction, the Tuies inaction, the Tuies did tell Michael they loved him and they intended to legally adopt him. Michael believed them, was delighted to be a part of a real and stable family, and trusted them completely. The Tuies encouraged Michael to refer to them as mom and dad, and he happily complied. It goes on to say almost immediately after Michael moved in, the Tuies presented him with what he understood to be legal papers that were a necessary step in the adoption process. He trusted them and signed where they told him to sign. What he signed, however, and unknown to him until after February 2023 were not adoption papers or the equivalent of adoption papers. Instead, it was a petition for appointment of conservators, which was filed in this cause in August 2004 by Deborah Brannon, attorney of record in this matter. Ms. Brannon was so close to the Tui family that Michael was encouraged to refer to her as Aunt Debbie. So they are alleging that he was presented with papers to sign. He thought they were adoption papers, and instead it was entering this conservatorship. So earlier in the episode, when it talked about receiving testimony, the court can receive testimony through signed affidavits. And if that's what's done here, it's bananas to me that the court didn't want to see the young man that they were signing a conservatorship for. And I can't imagine that if he is a football star in Memphis, that the judge had no familiarity with this kid's name. I mean, I guess it's an outside possibility, but I, there are rarely coincidences, right? And football, look, foot, football's a whole other thing. Whole other thing in the South. Um, my experience living in Tennessee for three years is limited, but, but, I've spent many of Friday nights with people in the stands from all over our community and neighboring communities that know every single kid and know all of their football stats. I'm just saying, these are people who have kids in high school, don't have kids in high school. Like, football is life. Um, so I also just wonder if this judge had any idea who, who this young man was and didn't say, I would like to talk to him. Because you could see how someone could wield undue influence and say, oh, sign these, we're adopting you, and have an 18-year-old not know the difference, and then to waive a guardian ad litem is bananas. And this is a very wealthy and prominent family in the area. So is the judge just like, oh, they're good people. It's fine. What? Getting back to this petition, and Aunt Debbie, not little Debbie, Aunt Debbie. Happens when I record before I eat dinner. This petition, it says, filed on behalf of the Tuies, Michael and his mother. 
by Ms. Brannon as the attorney of record for all four petitioners included a request that the conservators have total control over Orr's ability to negotiate or enter any contract, despite the fact that he was over 18 years old and had no diagnosed physical or psychological disabilities. And then it reads the, it restates the petition that I just read about having full legal control, being able to enter into contracts or not, Michael not being able to enter into contracts for himself, um, not being able to make medical or educational decisions and all of that going to the conservators. What they put into this that I do not have access to is the original petition. And the original petition is echoed directly in the order from the court. It's like the court took the petition and just copy and pasted it into the um, order saying, this is what the petition says, that the best interest of the said Michael Jerome Williams Jr. will be served by this court granting unto the said, this is what it says, the said Sean A. Tuohy and wife Leanne Tuohy, the full co-legal custody, guardianship, and conservatorship of the said Michael Jerome Williams, which is Michael Orr, that they shall have all powers of attorney tacked on his behalf and that the said Michael Jerome Williams Jr. shall not be allowed to enter into any contracts or bind himself without the direct approval of his guardian's conservators. Why do you need that over an 18-year-old? It goes on to say that said Michael Jerome Williams Jr. will further not be allowed to make medical decisions for himself and that the said guardian's conservators shall have full and complete authority to make medical and educational decisions on his behalf and have full and complete access to all his medical and school records in the same vein as they had been his natural parents and guardians. That language is taken directly into the order of conservatorship. And again, um, some of this can be accomplished through adoption, having access to medical records and school records to help promote applying for colleges and, you know, building credit and, and getting car insurance and whatever. You can help an 18-year-old do that if you are their parent, an adopted parent, but you don't have the right to make contracts for them. And you don't take away their right. This is stripping someone of rights. You don't take away their right to contract take away their educational decisions, and take away their medical decisions. The petition goes on to say, at no point did the Tuies inform Michael that they would have ultimate control over all his contracts. And as a result, Michael did not understand that if the conservatorship was granted, he was signing away his right to contract for himself. He was falsely advised by the Tuies that because he was over the age of 18, that a legal action to adopt him would have been called a conservatorship. But it was, for all intents and purposes, an adoption. That is not accurate. You can adopt someone that is 18 years old. This is not accurate. This is not accurate. The Tuies have falsely and publicly represented themselves as the adoptive parents of Michael, continuing to the date of the filing of this petition, and then they cite to um, Leanne Tui's website and their foundation, Making It Happen Foundation's website. And it says Michael's name and likeness is used to benefit the Tui's interest. 
and where Michael is claimed to be adopted. Such false and public misrepresentations have caused irreparable injury, loss, and damage to Michael, and unless the conservators are restrained and enjoined from continuing to make such misrepresentations, will continue to cause further injury or damages. So when we get to um, what they're asking for, one of the things they are going to be asking for is a, a restraint from referring to themselves as adopted parents because that's not accurate and an injunction stopping them from doing that, which would change any books that have been written. I don't know what they'll do about the movie, The Blind Side, um, but would change their website and the way they're allowed to present themselves publicly. It goes on to allege that the lie of Michael's adoption is one upon which co-conservators have enriched themselves at the expense of their ward, the undersigned Michael Orr. Michael Orr discovered this lie to his chagrin and embarrassment in February of 2023 when he learned that the conservatorship to which he consented on the basis that doing so would make him a member of the Tui family, in fact, provided him no familial relationship. In August 2005, Michael entered the University of Mississippi, Old Miss, on a football scholarship at the age of 19. During his first year at Old Miss, Michael earned freshman All-American honors. He also excelled in the classroom and made Dean's List academically his sophomore year. Not an easy feat as a student athlete. On September 2nd, 2006, The Blind Side, Evolution of the Game by Michael Lewis, a book based on the life of Michael Orr, was released. Footnote 2. Michael Lewis is the childhood friend of Sean Tuohy. I didn't know that before reading this petition, that the person who wrote the book about Michael Orr's life is a friend of this family. I had, I had no idea. It said shortly thereafter, conservators began contract negotiations with 20th Century Fox regarding their personal rights and the rights of their then minor children, Sean Tuohy Jr. and Collins Tuohy, to a movie based upon the book. The book written by the family friend. What? The fuck is happening? It then goes on to say, upon information and belief, the Tuohys used their status as conservators for Michael to negotiate a contract with Fox for the movie The Blind Side based on Michael's life story. In section 18, titled Notices and Payments, this is the Fox contract. Would I love to see this contract? Um, if there are lawyers watching or listening to this podcast, I I would I would love to take a look at this contract. Absolutely fascinated by how these negotiations with 20th Century Fox went down. Super need to know. Yep. It says, interestingly enough, Section 18 titled Notices and Payment of the Contract for the Movie. All four of the Tui family members' contracts with 20th Century Fox list Michael Snyder at CAA, which is a massive agency that represents, you know, name a famous celebrity. They're probably represented by CAA. Um, but listed Matthew Snyder at CAA as Tui's contact, but the agent attorney to receive contract and payment notices for Michael is listed as Debbie Brannon, the attorney of record on this matter. So the family, let me unpack this a little because I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to emphasize how wild this is to me. The four family members, the Tui adults and the Tui children, are all represented by an agent 
attorney at CAA. The agents in California are licensed. There are things they have to do to be talent agents. They have obligations of notice. There are things you must do to be an agent and adhere to as an agent. So all four members of the family are repped by CAA in this. But for Michael, they're listing Aunt Debbie, the family attorney, who's not an agent, who doesn't seem to work in the realm of entertainment law at all, a very specific, very specific type of thing when you're dealing with massive movie contract negotiations. So the CAA agent who would have been obligated to give notice to Michael of what the contract was, what was being said, um, isn't listed in the contract as the contact for Michael. So everybody is repped by CAA except the person whose life story the movie is based on. How the fuck did that fly? Because once they have the conservatorship, the Tuies can contract on Michael's behalf with the attorney, Debbie. Did Debbie get a cut of this? Because most agents take what? 10 to 15% of a movie deal? Did Debbie get a cut of the movie negotiations? Acting as his attorney? She's also one of the heads of the charitable agency. Let's um let's continue, let's continue on. If you're not mad yet, just hang on to your boots. Upon information and belief, conservators negotiated for themselves and their natural born children $225,000 plus 2.5% of all future defined net proceeds. And I've covered other cases where movies are fighting over net proceeds, but this is 2009, so they probably aren't dealing with streaming and the rest of it. So define net proceeds. $225,000 for the movie deal, plus 2.5% of all future proceeds for the adults and the two children. All payments were contingent upon Fox first acquiring Michael's signature. Upon information and belief, the blindside movie has amassed and grossed uh, revenues of more than $330 million and still urge, earns large sums of money. They have the right to sign that contract as conservators. I'm real curious as to what happened with that contract with Fox. Let's keep going. It says a contract also exists entitled Life Story Rights Agreement. You want to guess what that covers? It's purportedly signed by Michael dated April 20th, 2007, in which Michael appears to give away to Fox without any payment whatsoever, the perpetual, forever, perpetual, the perpetual, unconditional, and exclusive right throughout the world to use and portray Michael Orr's name, likeness, voice, appearance, personality, personal experiences, incidents, situations, and events based upon or taken from his life story in connection with motion pictures and otherwise from the dates mentioned in the Blindside book through the end of the 2008 NFL draft and non-exclusive rights to his life after the 2008 NFL draft. Now, interestingly enough, as, a, as an addendum, Michael Orr has written and sold at least two books based on his life, and it doesn't seem that he has been sued 
by Fox for those books. If the books are after 2008, Fox can't sue him for the non-exclusive rights. But if he wrote about the book or wrote about the time period of high school, which it seems that he has, Fox could have, under this agreement, tried to sue him. And I wonder why they didn't. Did they know? Did they forget they had perpetual rights? Did they know that there was something up? Is there a reason that they let it go? Did he have to negotiate with them to release his book? Books? Mm. So I have questions about this too, because this purports to sell all of that. And once you sell it, these contracts are a beast to deal with because they're not made to benefit the person selling their rights. If you haven't listened to last week when I talk about wedding dress designer Haley Page selling the rights to her name and the fact that that's not getting undone anytime soon, selling these rights in perpetuity uh, doesn't tend to go well for the person who wants to get their, you know, life, story, likeness, voice, appearance back. Maybe easier here because it seems that he was not paid. Look, uh, I'm a legal commentator. I don't give legal advice on this show, but if someone wants you to sign away the right to you in perpetuity for free, don't. The answer is no. It goes on to say that Michael believes that the signature on this document is very similar to his own. He does not know whether the signature was forged. However, it goes on to say, Michael does know and here avers that he at no time ever willingly or knowingly signed this document and that nobody ever presented this contract to him with any explanation that he was signing such a document or any document concerning his rights to his name, image, and life story to Fox or anyone else. It goes on to say that to the extent the co-conservators in any way facilitated the signature on this unconscionably unfair document, whether by forgery, trickery, or otherwise, or even if they simply knew about it and allowed this miscarriage of justice to occur, whereby co-conservators and their children would reap millions of dollars while co-conservators' ward would receive nothing, they would have committed a breach of their fiduciary duty so gross and appalling that they should be sanctioned by this court by disgorgement of all sums received for this motion picture plus interest from the date of receipt of payment and also be required to pay appropriate punitive damages to their ward as determined by this court. So this is where they are hammering in what they want to disgorge the profits made by the family when he is alleging in this document that he has received nothing for the blind side. Let's continue on. The Blindside movie was released on November 20, 2009, well after Michael had used all of his NC2A eligibility at Ole Miss. Look, the NC2A has a whole bunch of rules. They've recently changed so that student athletes can um, sign contracts, be paid during their time. But this was back in the day when that was not happening. Um, and so they there was a lot of hubbub about whether or not this was improper influence to get this student, Michael Orr, at the time a high school student, to go to Old Miss. And you see this kind of impropriety happening in colleges where someone's mom gets a car or someone gets a new wardrobe or whatever it is to induce them to go to a college. None of that is supposed to happen. But anyway, 
they talk about it here. Um, and they say that the movie was released on November 20th, 2009, after he used his NC2A eligibility. As such, any remuneration he could have received from the movie occurred after college and would not have affected his eligibility. They are end routing a, I don't know if that, is that a football analogy? I don't know. Maybe it is. But they are they are trying to cut off the route of um, argument that this family signed the contract and took the money because it would have affected or impacted potentially his eligibility. And they're like, no, that's not an argument here. They're already like, no, 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 no. He was already done with college by the time this movie came out. It goes on to say that due to the massive success of the movie, Alcron Entertainment, the successor to Fox, made a donation to the Leanne Tui Foundation, the Making It Happen Foundation, in the amount of $200,000 on October 10th, 2010, in the name of Sean Tui. Well, why not in his name? Why not in Michael Orsi? I have so many questions. Upon information and belief, this payment was triggered by an amendment to life story rights agreement of Sean Tui. At no time did conservators Alcron Entertainment or Fox inform Michael of the amendment or negotiations, nor was there any amendment attempted to ensure that Michael would benefit from the movie's success in contravention to the duty the Tuies had to Michael as conservators. Yes, they have to. They have a fiduciary responsibility. Procedural background. On December 4th, 2004, the Honorable Judge Robert Benham granted the petition and entered an order appointing conservator of the person. We covered that previously. Making the determination that Michael was in need of supervision, protection, and assistance, and that he should not be able to make contract decisions on his own. The order states in pertinent part that it is in his best interest to appoint the conservators. I read that part. It will make me mad to read it again. But it takes, you know, the right to contract, make medical and educational decisions out of this 18-year-old's hands and puts them into the hands of his conservators. It goes on to say concerning the duration of the conservatorship, the petition indicates that it is Michael's desire that petitioners be recognized as his legal guardians at least until he reaches the age of 25 or until termination by order of this court prior to that time. Well, then this should have terminated. Despite that prayer, the court appointed the Tuies as conservators to serve in the capacity until further orders of the court terminating the conservatorship. So... In the petition, they said until 25, but in the order, it says until termination of the court. And that is how we're still here because it hasn't been terminated by the court. The official Shelby County, I might need to go to Shelby County. At least there's a, you know, hey, Memphis is lovely, but there's a, there's an Ikea. Do I need to go to Memphis? I might. The official Shelby County government probate code records show that a waiver of bond and the conservator certificate were issued on December 7th, 2004. So they waived the right, they waived the need for a guardian ad litem to explain to Michael what was happening. And they waived the right for a bond, meaning if the conservators engaged in malfeasance or, you know, used money improperly, there's no bond guaranteeing it'll get paid back the way there is in Britney's conservatorship. There's at least a bond in that case. So if Yeeted Spears doesn't have any money, at least they can go after the bond. It says that no subsequent order terminating the conservatorship has ever been signed, nor have conservators ever moved the court to terminate or modify same. Yeah, nothing happened. 
This conservatorship was put into place. They were given full authority, and then nothing was filed in this court until this for since, what, 2004 to today. Conservators have never filed any yearly accountings nor moved the court for any extension of time to file the accountings, and then they cite the code in Tennessee that requires accountings. They've never filed a statement of fiduciary as to physical or mental condition. They've never sought to have the conservatorship modified, appoint third parties um, as conservators due to the plain conflict that would and did arise between their fiduciary duties and their own personal financial interests. It says, since at least August of 2004, conservators have allowed Michael specifically and the public generally to believe that conservators adopted Michael and have used that untruth to gain financial advantages for themselves and the foundations which they own and which they exercise control. All monies made in said manner should in all conscience and equity be disgorged and paid over to said ward, Michael Orr. This conservatorship is unnecessary as Michael Orr is capable of handling his own affairs. Petitioner asserts under Tennessee Code 34-3-108, conservators herein should be discharged, the conservatorship terminated because of the conservators' failure to perform their duties. It seems like they did nothing. And obligations in accordance with the law because of their failure to act in Orr's best interest because Orr is not under any disability that requires a conservator. They go on to cite case law on that. I'm not going to harp on it because... All of those things in the code should be sufficient. It says, since the conservatorship began on October 7th, 2004, conservators have had a duty to act in the best interest of Michael Orr. Conservators are appointed to act in the best interest of a disabled adult person for whom they are partially or fully responsible in the discretion of the court. The trial court must significantly enumerate the powers removed from the respondent and vested in the conservator, citing Henry Melton. Um, a key obligation which conservators must meet is the care for the words property, assets, and account for such yearly, except as provided in the subsection. Then they go into um, a few exceptions that are aside from the requirement that each year within 60 days of the one-year anniversary of the conservatorship, so within 60 days of December 7th, they have to file an accounting officially with the court, sworn. Since the inception of the conservatorship, an important asset of Michael's has been his rights to his name, image, and likeness, and that's abbreviated NIL. Um, it feels very Hollywood industry speak for a Tennessee lawsuit, but NIL. Every individual has a property right in the use of that person's name, photograph, likeness in any medium or manner. This court specifically removed the ability of Michael to enter contracts regarding his NIL rights and gave that right to conservators. Consequently, conservators had a duty to act in the best interest of Michael's rights regarding his NIL and to account yearly regarding those assets. To date, conservators have filed no accounting and should be ordered to fully account for what assets and use thereof by either Michael or conservators' benefit throughout the conservatorship under the code section. As conservators and their children collectively received millions of dollars and Michael received nothing for his rights to a $330 million story that would not have existed without him. Petitioner or asserts that absence of breach of fiduciary duties by conservators or would not have incurred such court costs and attorney's fees to submit this petition, so asking for remuneration of those, requesting injunctive relief to stop them from saying that they are his adoptive parents, and to stop them from using his name, image, and likeness, asking for a sworn accounting 
for every year of the conservatorship and asking the court to sanction them for their misconduct. It was supposed to be a story of care, but that's not what we're seeing. Um, that's not what's alleged in this petition. And it's it's enraging to see allegations that people are taking someone who they are supposed to be protecting and exploiting them. Um, and this, ha- I mean, we've seen this happen in Hollywood. How many times have we seen this happen in Hollywood? Not just in the Britney Spears conservatorship, but how often have we seen people exploited at a young age? It's absolutely wild. The questions I am left with are, Fox did not sue when they had the rights to his name, image, and likeness, um, exclusive rights up till 2008, when he released his own books. So I have questions about that and, and how strong those contracts were or were not. I have questions about um, what made him start looking into this and seeing that this conservatorship is still in place. Who signed his contract with Old Miss? Who signed his NFL contract? If they ever received any money, it seems that they didn't from his NFL contracts. It seems that this is all centered around the blindside film and story um, and his story and his name, image, and likeness rights. But I have talked about Michael Orr's books. I will link them down below. His first book is I Beat the Odds. His second book is When Your Back's Against a Wall. So if you are interested in supporting him and those books, those are the two written by him that I will link down below. And as I have mentioned before, um, I often record the podcast with the members behind the scenes. And as I was sitting down to record this, the members let me know that Sean Tui has made a statement to TMZ. Why is it always TMZ? About these claims. Thank you to our sponsor, Fast Growing Trees. Y'all, it is time to make your home an oasis, especially as we are getting into fall. You can bring the outdoors indoors or give a great zhuzh at the end of the summer to your outdoor spaces with Fast Growing Trees. FastGrowingTrees.com has thousands of easy-to-grow plants, shrubs, and tree varieties expertly curated for your unique climate and needs. From lemon trees to evergreens, shade trees, and everything in between, they will help you pick what works best for your climate, which was huge for us because we did move to a new climate just a few years ago and wanted to make sure that the things we brought into our home and our yard were going to thrive. Plus, fast-growing trees plant experts have specialized degrees and training to help troubleshoot from root to leaf. It's kind of like telehealth, but for your plants. And fast-growing trees has a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, so you know everything will look great fresh out of the box. Plus, you don't have to try to haul things around in your own car. Join almost 2 million happy fast-growing trees customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash now to get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash When you get something that you love, be sure to tag me on social and let me know what you picked. All right, let's get back into today's episode. So pulling this up, Sean Tui, or claims are quote-unquote insulting. We made little money off blindside. Uh, is the is the contract not stated accurately 
And do you consider $200,000 to be little? Like, how do you define little? Let's dive beyond the headlines on this. Sean Tui is firing back at Michael Orr, calling BS on all of the former NFL stars, quote, insulting allegations while insisting he and his family made little money off the success of The Blind Side. The 63-year-old, who was played by Tim McGraw in the 2009 hit movie, said he was devastated to learn that Orr accused him and his wife, Leanne, of exploiting him for fame and money in a court filing in Tennessee on Monday morning. Tui told the Daily Memphian, Is that real? Is Memphian what we're doing with Memphian? Okay. Tui told the Daily Memphian he never tricked Orr into getting into a conservatorship, and he certainly didn't make millions off of it either. Instead, Tui said the whole ordeal went down because the NCAA told him if Orr wanted to attend Old Miss, he would have to be considered part of the family due to Tui's status as a booster at the school. It's Emily from the future. So as I was thinking about this statement regarding the NCAA and Tui's status as a booster at the school, it seems that the NCAA was concerned about impropriety or undue influence and the rules that applied in 2009 with regard to how prevalent the Tui family was as supporters of the school and the fact that they had supported Michael Orr could be the kind of rule violation to influence Orr to go to Ole Miss. So it seems that the reason that the NCAA said, well, it's only fine if he's part of your family, was because of the booster status and the financial support to Ole Miss and the fact that they were financially supporting Michael Orr um, prior to him going to Ole Miss. But again, that doesn't make a conservatorship make sense. That would make an adoption make sense. And an adoption is legally possible for adults, anyone over the age of 18, in the state of Tennessee. So it still doesn't explain why it was such a specific conservatorship taking on so many rules. And it seems that Michael Orr did feel strongly about going to Ole Miss, um, even though it looks like every school in the Southeast was heavily recruiting him and he could have had his pick of universities. So it goes on to say, quote, I sat Michael down and told him, if you're planning to go to Ole Miss or even considering Ole Miss, we think you have to be a part of the family. This would do that legally. No, it didn't. That's not what a conservatorship does. Also, you're you're not going to tell me that, that this young man was not being recruited by literally the fuck everybody, and y'all were sitting there. I, I Emily speculation that they're all sitting there going, "Well, we sure we sure don't want him to go to Arkansas. Like we don't we, we don't want this man to to roll tide." You're gonna tell me that Tennessee was not recruiting this young man? They were uh, they were sending him the lyrics to Rocky Top. That is all speculation. C- come on now. The fact that he wouldn't get admitted to Ole Miss is, is is sending me. I am, I am sent. I am sent. Good old Rocky Top. 
Rocky Top, Tennessee. Okay, I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue. I am going to continue. Wait, Al- sorry, I got Alabama and Arkansas. <laughs> I got Alabama and Arkansas messed up. The Between the Roll Tide and the Razorbacks, I don't know. I'm new to the Southeast. I have not established loyalty anywhere yet, and I will mix things up. It's the sports ball, people. I know that the Titans are here. And he played for the Titans. Uh, Sean Tui continued, quote, We contacted lawyers who told us that we couldn't adopt over the age of 18. The only thing we could do was have a conservatorship. We were so concerned It was on the up and up that we made sure the biological mother came to court. Tui then said he'd, of course, end the conservatorship if that's what Orr wanted. As for the allegations that Tui used the conservatorships to negotiate a big movie deal with Fox that netted massive profits for him and his family, Tui said that just simply never happened. We didn't make any money off the movie, Tui said. What? Nobody? Nobody made any money off the movie? Who made the money off the movie then? We didn't make any money off the movie, Tui said. Well, Michael Lewis, the blindside book author, gave us half his share. Everybody in the family got an equal share, including Michael. It was about $14,000 each. The book author, who's a family friend of yours. I wonder how they had access to Michael Orr's story. Tui says he was in no need of cash after he sold his fast food franchises for over $200 million. You're flexing? You're flexing in this? You're flexing in this. Uh, what? Tui said he was in no need of cash after he sold his fast food franchise for over $200 million. He goes on to say, quote, I will say it's upsetting that people would think I would want to make money off of any of my children. Tui also told the outlet that his family and Orr had remained very close in the years after the release of The Blind Side, though he began to notice a schism forming around a year and a half ago. No question the allegations are insulting, he said, but look, it's a crazy world. We've got to live in it. It's obviously upset everybody. I will link the TMZ story down below. I will also link the story to the Daily Memphian Memphis residents, if I pronounce that badly, I'm sorry. Um, I pronounce everything badly. And uh, and I will link that too from the Daily Memphian um, and the link to the story from uh, ESPN as well that prompted so well, prompted a bunch of other reporting that got it to People Magazine that prompted all of the law nerds to get into my email and all of my DMs and say, girl, did you see this? Yes, I did. This is wild. Um, so again, if if they were concerned about doing it on the up and up, which I think is is a good thing, why wave the guardian ad litem? If they went into court to give testimony, I would love to see the transcripts of what the court explained. And I have a lot of questions about those contracts with Fox. Because it's it's big allegations and it's heartbreaking to think that his life story and his rights were signed away where he is benefiting in no way from the life that he lived and from his own story. Because that is absolutely 
fuckery. It's completely unjust. So I'm not done um, with this story. I'm going to be following along what's going on in this conservatorship. I think they should order the accountings. I hope that they do. Um, you can adopt over the age of 18, so I don't know why they would have been advised as such. And again, maybe um, if you're ball into the tune of $200 million, maybe get a second opinion from an attorney and, and ask more people so you don't end up down the road with someone feeling literally like they were blindsided by the people that they considered family. As I suspected, there would be statements after I recorded the podcast. So today, August 15th, I am adding some addendums because my editors are the best and we want to make sure that you have all the information in this fast-moving story and have the opinions of both sides now that the court documents are made public. So first, we're going to just take a real quick look at Michael's statement to people, and then we are going to go take a look at statements given exclusively to TMZ by the Tui family attorney. The headline from People is Blindside Subject Michael Orr Speaks Out Amid Legal Claims Difficult Situation for My Family and Me. Orr said in a statement issued to People by a representative for him, quote, I am disheartened by the revelation shared in the lawsuit today. Not technically a lawsuit, but you know. Orr's statement continued, this is a difficult situation for my family and me. I want to ask everyone to please respect our privacy at this time. For now, I will let the lawsuit speak for itself and will offer no further comment. And that again is referring to the petition for termination of conservatorship. The rest of that article from People rehashes what is in the filing that we have covered thoroughly. Next, we are going to look at the Tui family statement through their attorney given exclusively to TMZ Sports. Honestly, I was unaware until literally today that TMZ had a, a sports part of their of their their coverage. <laughs> Sorry y'all. I don't sports ball is not what I cover a ton. Tui family or attempted $15 million shakedown before blasting us in court documents. So when we say there are two sides to every story, I mean, the conservatorship documents speak for themselves. Those are the court documents. But clearly the Tui family has a different perspective on all of this. The Tui family says before Michael Orr made outlandish, hurtful, and absurd claims about them in court on Monday, he actually tried to shake them down for $15 million. Marty Singer, whose name you, fine listener, will remember because we have talked about Marty Singer being hired by Lizzo. Marty Singer, the Tui family attorney, said it all happened recently. And what's worse, he claimed that this is not the first time that Orr has done this. So we're going to go through the entire statement provided by TMZ now instead of TMZ's recapping of the statement because we might as well just go directly to the statement. And of course, these will all be linked down below, as well as Sean Tui Jr.'s interview on Barstool Radio. I will link that down below as well. That interview was yesterday. So going directly to the Marty Singer statement, he is the attorney for Sean and Leanne Tui. Quote, anyone with a modicum of common sense can see that the outlandish claims made by Michael Orr about the Tui family are hurtful and absurd. I can understand how they would be hurtful, but there's a conservatorship. It continues to say that the idea that the Tuies ever sought to profit off Mr. Orr is not only offensive, it is transparently ridiculous. 
a lot of words. Through hard work and good fortune, Sean and Leanne have made an extraordinary amount of money in the restaurant business. The notion that a couple worth hundreds of millions of dollars would connive to withhold a few thousand dollars in profit participation payments from anyone, let alone someone they loved as a son, defies belief. We've got a lot more to go in this statement. It's interesting that the word loved was used, not love to me. Um, it's a specific choice and it's an interesting one. It goes on to say, in reality, the Tuies opened their home to Mr. Orr, offered him structure, support, and most of all, unconditional love. They have constantly treated him like a son and one of their three children. His response was to threaten them, including saying that he would plant a negative story about them in the press unless they paid him $15 million. When Michael Lewis, a friend of Sean since childhood, was approached about turning his book on Mr. Orr and the Tuies into a movie about their family, his agents negotiated a deal where they received a small advance from the production company and a tiny percentage of net profits. And we saw some of that in there. Now, I'm wondering if the deal negotiated with the Tuies that's alleged in the filing is part of the deal negotiated with Michael Lewis, the author. And did Michael Lewis, the author, ever have any rights signed over with Michael? I have questions. It goes on to say they insisted that the money received be divided equally, and they have made good on that pledge. So was money not going directly to Michael then? Was money going to the Tuies, and then the Tuies were dividing it up? I have questions. It goes on to say the evidence documented in profit participation checks and studio accounting statements is clear. Over the years, the Tuies have given Mr. Orr an equal cut of every penny received from the blind side, even recently when Mr. Orr started to threaten them about what he would do unless they paid him an eight-figure windfall and, as part of that shakedown effort, refused to cash the small profit checks from the Tuies, they still deposited Mr. Orr's equal share into a trust account set up for his son. I'm assuming they mean Mr. Orr's son, Michael Orr's son. Additionally, it says, in spite of the false allegation in the lawsuit, the Tuies, not a lawsuit, still not a lawsuit. Additionally, in spite of the false allegations in the lawsuit, the Tuies have always been upfront about how a conservatorship, from which not one penny was received, was established to assist with Mr. Orr's needs, ranging from getting him health insurance to obtaining a driver's license to helping with college admissions. I will just note all things that could have been done through adoption as well. Should Mr. Orr wish to terminate the conservatorship either now or at any time in the future, the Tuies will never oppose it in any way. Well, he filed it yesterday, so clearly he wishes to terminate it. Will they cooperate with the accounting? It seems like there's no estate in this conservatorship. And that's part of what's so confusing, is it seems that though they had these rights and are alleged to have used these rights to negatively impact Michael Orr during negotiating for the movie, there's nothing about whether any of his contracts in the NFL were impacted and whether or not he had their permission or whether they signed those. It seems that they didn't because it's not part of this termination document. It seems that this is all centered around the movie. Unbeknownst to the public, Mr. Orr has actually attempted to run this play. Marty Singer, is that a football analogy? 
Mr. Orr has actually attempted to run this play several times before, but it seems that numerous other lawyers stopped representing him once they saw evidence and learned the truth. Sadly, Mr. Orr has finally found a willing enabler. Oh, now going after the lawyer, huh? The lawyer's just asking to terminate the conservatorship. The conservatorship seems to still be in existence. Goes on to say, has found a willing enabler to file this ludicrous lawsuit, not a lawsuit, as a cynical attempt to drum up attention in the middle of his latest book tour. The Tuies will always care deeply for Mr. Orr. Will. They are heartbroken over these events. They desperately hope that he comes to regret his recent decisions. Sir? This is a very strong statement. They desperately hope that he comes to regret his recent decisions, make different choices in the future, and that they someday can be reconciled with him. In the meantime, however, they will not hesitate to defend their good names, stand up to this shakedown, and defeat this offensive lawsuit. Again, if they are already saying that they are completely in agreement with terminating the conservatorship, I don't know what lawsuit there is to beat because there's no lawsuit. This is still a motion to terminate a conservatorship and asking for an accounting of any funds in the conservatorship. And if there aren't any, then there aren't any. And finally, the question of why now, how did this come up? It seems that the attorney told ESPN that Orr hired him to look into a discrepancy with regard to royalty checks once Orr learned recently that he was not receiving royalty checks. And that attorney uncovered the conservatorship papers in February and then brought this forward. There are still a lot of questions here because, again, it doesn't seem to have impeded negatively his ability to sign the NFL contracts. There are a lot of conversations going on right now about what movie profits actually are, what 2% of net even means, and who's getting paid. The thought that Michael Orr was not paid up front for his story, that all of this could have gone through the author of the book and then be parsed out to the family that is the subject of the book and not directly negotiated through them is wild. And there's a lot that we don't know. What we do know is that this conservatorship was filed and still stands, has not been terminated, but nothing else has been filed in court. No accountings, no, no, not, no, nothing, no, nothing has been filed since the conservatorship papers were filed. So is it what the two E say? Hey, if he wanted to play at Ole Miss, the NCAA wouldn't allow it unless he was in the family and we thought this is what we needed to do. Or did they sign it and then we're negotiating the rights for the movie using the conservatorship to sign those documents? Or is it somewhere in between? There's a lot of questions here, but what there isn't is an adoption. And I think that much is clear. So let me know your thoughts on all of that down below. And let's go to the outro that I recorded yesterday. <laughs> and with that, law nerds, thank you for sitting through the, the allegations that are here through this petition to terminate conservatorship. Will we see accountings? I hope so. I hope we will continue to see what happens in this story because I really want to know how it resolves. Um, I'm invested. Let me know if you're invested because I am absolutely invested. So 
Say it with me. Thank you for being a law nerd, first of all. And second of all, may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May the wild summer weather not uh, take out your power. May you be safe and well. May your family be well. May the odds be ever in your favor. All right, y'all. Let me know what you think of this one, and I will see you in the next one. You can find more Law Nerd goodness in our private Law Nerd community over at lawnerdsunite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at The Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the Quick Bits podcast and Quick Bits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a Law Nerd.